0: Welcome, fellow listeners, to the exciting first-ever episode of Newcomers to Trailblazers, where we celebrate the incredible stories of individuals who have dared to dream big and conquer new frontiers. Today, we have a truly inspiring guest with us, Jeela Pirmoradi, an immigrant woman in science who has defied all odds and emerged as a true trailblazer. Hailing from Iran, Jila embarked on a life-changing journey 14 years ago when she moved to Canada as a wide-eyed PhD student. Little did she know that her quest for knowledge would extend far beyond the walls of academia. For a decade, Jila immersed herself in a world of opportunities, tirelessly volunteering and forging connections with people from diverse fields. But Sheila's path to success was anything but traditional. Instead of following the beaten track, she paved her own way, hustling through volunteering and leveraging her network to uncover incredible job opportunities. Today, she not only excels as a hiring manager, but also dedicates her time and expertise to giving back to the community. From mentoring aspiring professionals to teaching at esteemed academic institutions, Gila's impact can be felt far and wide. Her commitment to social causes is evident through her active involvement on the boards of non-profit organizations as well as her collaborations with the City of Vancouver and Metro Vancouver on various city projects. Join us as we delve into Sheila's extraordinary immigrant journey, uncovering the trials, triumphs, and invaluable lessons she has learned along the way. Prepare to be inspired, educated, and uplifted by Sheila's remarkable story of resilience, determination, and unwavering passion. Let's dive right in hi sheila how are you
1: great how are you monisha
0: very good um so new year is coming up what kind of plans do
1: you have yeah i can't believe 2023 is gone in the first place is that the case with you as well
0: i believe so too because um it feels like i landed in canada only yesterday in 2000 it was 2022 and it already 16 months have passed by and every day i wake up and i still tell myself you have moved to canada and there are things you can do and focus on the day look forward to it and that's how i pass the day how do you do it <laughs>
1: <laughs> well it's so it's almost two years or, or sometime like less than two years for you uh, less than two years close
0: to one and a half years
1: okay and i can tell you for me it has been over 14 years but it almost feels the same i'm sometimes asking myself when it came to be 14 years now. So like when it happened.
0: (laughs) Uh, What plans for
1: 2024? 2024, wow, well, yeah, I mean work, Related, there's lots of plans. We have to do lots of transformations at work mm-hmm. uh, Personally also, I think we all have resolutions So we get excited at the end of the year remembering all those resolutions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a few for myself too
0: <laughs> Do you follow resolutions through the year? Mm,
1: for, for a long time, I wasn't even putting resolutions for myself mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, But so this year I'm trying to set one at least mm-hmm. like personal Health, wellness, and all those like a changing lifestyle mm-hmm. to just make a better balance between work and life and all those things.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> January first is a gym day where you go to the gym. You are so pumped, and then you want to work out. And then January second, you are like, my body hurts. I don't want to go anymore. Well, <laughs> I know, I really hope that doesn't happen to you. <laughs>
1: hope so too. I haven't made a promise to start from January 1st, if it helps. So,
0: have you ever wondered about the mysterious worlds of names that start with the letter Z? I mean, you are the first person I know whose name actually starts with the letter Z. We are dying to know, what does your name actually mean? Thanks for
1: asking that. For a long time I was also wondering about what my name means because basically that's a Persian name and I'm from Iran, so I had the same question for my parents because that's not a word I had seen, you know, prevalently everywhere. And I was looking up into some dictionaries and basically encyclopedias I wasn't able to find. Mm -hmm. Eventually I was told, I don't remember even at which point in my life I was told, It means the, you know, the droplets of hail, the like the heavy, icy droplets. And I don't know whether I should be very excited about (laughs) why I'm named after, but that's what it means, basically.
0: (laughs) Okay, droplets of hail. Oh, wow. All right. So, um... Now that you have told us your the meaning of your name, I think it sits well with, well with your character as well. <laughs> Being an immigrant woman in science, um, it must have been quite the adventure. Can you share some of the incredible stories that you have experienced along the way?
1: Yeah, well, I'm just thinking where to start from. <laughs> I'll try to keep it short. Basically, immigration has really opened new horizons for me not only from the opportunities perspective, but also from a mindset perspective and how I look at the human being, how I basically have changed in my way of interacting with people. I can tell you I was really an introvert person before, or at least I considered myself as a very shy introvert person. Now I'm really like, a, sometimes I try to be the glue, not saying that I am all the time, but I feel responsible to bring everyone to the conversation and not, and not leave anyone staying in their shy mode <laughs> beyond a few minutes. That's one change. Another change is basically uh, believing more in myself. Mm-hmm. Before moving to Canada, I wasn't really considering myself as like a, you know capable of achieving so much. Even though in like in me, I believed in me, but I wasn't really confident about it that that much. So these are a couple of the transformations. I'll just stick to that for now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. PhD student life can be a roller coaster ride of challenges and uncertainties. Care to share some of the wildest moments and how you managed to overcome them?
1: Yeah, <clears throat> PhD was a journey. First I should say, I really was lucky during my PhD because of a couple of things. One was my supervisor, Mm -hmm. He was so kind and supportive and he Mm -hmm. was really a great leader. Mm -hmm. So basically, one of the things that saved me, because I know there are so many students struggling, it's not a short period of time, Uh, I read something once it was comparing the master's program to a PhD program Mm -hmm. in uh, saying that for example when you're a master's student it's like uh jumping into a pool uh, like a Mm -hmm. shallow pool
2: Mm -hmm. uh,
1: where actually there's even I don't know safe lifeguards or so you know nearby Mm -hmm. so you can be saved very easily you Mm -hmm. you see the, mm-hmm. the edges of the pool, there's nothing to worry mm-hmm. you really, mm-hmm. but then PhD, it's like... Uh, Jumping is. into the ocean. Ocean, exactly. Mm-hmm. Without lifeguards, oh. without swimsuit, nothing. Nothing, it's so deep, you, you don't know where is the, you know, the beach or, or the shore, and you don't know even how to swim, <laughs> I mean sometimes, so it's just like a, a struggle. So I was really lucky mm-hmm. because there was a lifeguard for me in that, and then the second lucky part for me was uh, you know, learning about all the nonprofits, all the opportunities available to both newcomers and women in particular as well. So for example, uh, where I started volunteering was a turnover in the way I looked at myself and the way I uh, perceived my capabilities along the way to just you know, turn into a career in industry after graduation.
0: You mentioned that your leader was a he, so male leader, yeah. right? Yeah.
1: How many female
0: PhD colleagues did you have?
1: Colleagues, you mean the PhD students? PhD
0: like students, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Or professors, or anybody. Who, how many female representatives, to whom did you look up to in, in your university, in your colleagues, in your professors, in your student life?
1: Mm-hmm. Very good question. I remember at that time, I think there were, I mean, there was. One student that I was really looking to, she was mother of three. and oh. At that time, I had just, just, you know, I had got married only just a month or so before starting my PhD. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking, how is she able to complete and, and go through the PhD with three kids, three small kids? So always, she seemed to be a role model for me because it, I, to me still to this date is impossible <laughs> in my mind. I really hope they were not triplets, though. <laughs> no, but they were back to back, I think. I don't know whether it's better to say, because the project was not
0: done, it was... Well, um, that's a good experience to share. (laughs) We have all heard about this elusive Canadian work experience, right? Spill the beans, like what does it really mean? How on earth did you manage to crack the code and land a job in Canada without any prior work experience? Mm,
1: You know, back then, we are talking about maybe 2013 or so, I was just a few years in Canada by then. I realized I don't want to stay in academia. And, of course, for getting a job into the industry, into Canadian job market, I always was hearing, like, network is important, you should build your network of people, uh, professionals and such. And of course, I didn't have one. It was barely like my supervisor at school, and maybe other instructors where we were we were sitting in their classes to take a course. So it was really like a question of okay, where to build this network and how to demonstrate my skills uh, so that I would be really admitted and and considered acceptable or qualified to get a job. Uh, the the basically deal breaker not not to say the deal breaker. I should say something else. So. The turning point was when I actually met uh, some mentors from the organization that I then became a volunteer with, which was called Society for Canadian Women in Science and Technology, SWIST, or SWIST, as some people call it. So there I just learned about, okay, there are tricks, there are tips that actually if I apply, if I take the same approach, it's not uh, a matter of whether I will get there or not, it's only a matter of time. I will get there, I will be able to build a network, mm-hmm. I would actually be able to maybe like go through successfully uh, sooner or later. So that was really very helpful for me and I then became a volunteer with that organization. I can tell you lots of stories about how things you know, went through an evolution. I don't know whether you would like to hear about that. or.
0: Oh, absolutely. In fact, we have heard rumors that you once set up seating arrangements as your first volunteering gig. <laughs> can you give us all the juicy details?
1: yeah that was like when i actually went to an event so everything started from an event which was called wonder women uh it was held in science world and again Mm -hmm. science world is such an exciting place if you haven't been to um basically there it was around the international women's day march Mm -hmm. 8 Mm -hmm. so usually every year they have that event where they bring around 20 30 women mentors and they invite lots of students mostly science students like STEM students okay to meet and be inspired by, by their mentors first mm-hmm. I was there as a, as a student as an attendee mm-hmm. then when I spoke to some of the mentors I realized most of them are, or many of them have been or are with Swiss mm-hmm. as a either board member or a committee chair or a committee member mm-hmm. uh, so I just really realized I need and I want to be joining on the other side of the table Mm -hmm. so I started talking to one of them and then I joined a committee called Immigrating Women in Science Mm -hmm. IWIS back then Mm
2: -hmm.
1: yes so the first role that I was given was okay there's an event upcoming event we Mm -hmm. would like you to be there like you know an hour ahead of time and then when I showed up there, the the role that I was given is okay, we don't want the the chairs to be arranged this way. Maybe I don't know it was like a theater setting and then they wanted Mm -hmm. it to change to something else. So Mm -hmm. I was just told, can you please just take care of this arrangement? And I was just thinking, okay, I had heard a lot of good stuff (laughs) about volunteering. (laughs) Is it the case? And how this is gonna build me a network. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, Yes, that was the very first experience. But things really Evolved over time. Mm -hmm. I was involved in more and more uh, capacities. So, such as helping with planning for the catering of events Mm -hmm. and finding vendors or uh, basically uh, catering service providers. So, Mm -hmm. it was helping me to do some research Mm -hmm. and get to know more about the local, you know. Mm -hmm. things that I needed to know and mm-hmm. now even to this day, they have been helpful for me when I plan an event, whether it's mm-hmm. with my own team, mm-hmm. whether it's like in a personal capacity with family or basically with some friends. So now I know which pubs in the town have nice, a nice quiet place to just, you know,
0: uh-huh. hang and out and yeah. chill and exactly. have a chat, lay yeah. back.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah, and what are the discounts that some vendors would provide for catering and so
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And then things moved further forward, like mm-hmm. now can you help us find a guest speaker? Mm-hmm. Can we, I don't know, design a poster for this event? Can you mm-hmm. write a recap mm-hmm. for this event so that we could post on the website? So you know the,
2: mm-hmm. the ca-
1: capacities in which I was involved mm-hmm. increased and evolved over time. So to the extent that I actually at some point became the committee chair and I was actually providing directions to a team of five people to do the same things that I did as a like a junior volunteer back. Uh, a year from then
0: or so so setting up cheats to committee chair yay <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. so that's what i would definitely recommend everyone give it a try <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. so uh, out of curiosity was your phd uh, paid position
1: uh, yeah it was funded but it started from a very partial fund which was barely covering for my tuition mm-hmm. then you know every year or every quarter i think i was lucky that It
0: increased. Okay. I remember
1: at the very beginning when I got admission, Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure whether I would even get funding and then even the bare funding that I was given was really something I was grateful for.
0: Okay. So uh, again, uh, when people, especially new immigrants, when they move to Canada, the first thing they ask themselves is, you know, how much money I have spent to move to Canada? I don't want to volunteer. I don't want to be, you know, doing things for free. I deserve to get paid. Why would I volunteer? So, what would your answer be to them?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I hear that too. Sometimes, you know, I'm serving as a mentor with some organizations or in different capacities. Specifically, I really like to provide the support to the newcomers, just like, you know, all the support that I was given by different kind people. Uh, I would tell anyone who has this doubt, I would tell them, it's not like everything we do is compensated by a paycheck the compensation for our work can differ, can happen in very different ways mm-hmm. voluntary uh, volunteering uh, for me has been you know paying back in in many ways including building me a network mm-hmm. through which I got jobs you have heard of uh, the the eyes of the job market where there are actually posted, uh, m- m- you know, jobs, and then there's a lot of unposted jobs. Mm-hmm. So I've had the chance to actually get into a job that was never posted, mm-hmm. simply because you know I had demonstrated the skills that was needed for that job posting, and I had enough experience of working with that team lead, and mm-hmm. in their need to basically hire someone like promptly mm-hmm. and have a quick transition into a role, they actually they were seeing an opportunity to skip and and basically not even post that job posting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those are the things that I, if I had not that volunteer experience, Uh, I wouldn't have had that opportunity to really jump into a job that quickly either. So I I think the compensation there Mm -hmm. is already in a non-monetary way, but still very self-explanatory.
0: But led to a monetary way either ways. Yes, exactly. Uh, Okay. Yeah,
1: that's the other way. And another way is paving the road for someone else so mm-hmm. volunteering building a network and basically being able to refer an, a connection while I wasn't in need for a job mm-hmm. but there have been other connections so based on the, the uh, relation the rapport built between mm-hmm. for example me and a committee lead in a voluntary role mm-hmm. I've been able to refer other people to opportunities that they would be hiring for
0: okay Yeah. So volunteering roles uh, through volunteering roles, you build networks and through networks you learned something called informational interviews. What does informational interviews mean? Enlighten us, please.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you search Google, there's a lot of things about it and I always find things like do's and do nots not for informational interview. Mm-hmm. In a nutshell, is a means to reach out to, to people whom you've never met or you've never known, mm-hmm. but people whom with, or with whom you share insight and, and you share common interests mm-hmm. so that you can learn from their story or mm-hmm. you can seek their you know guidance to help you really take the next step in your career journey mm-hmm. so there are so many kind people so many insightful people and they wouldn't mind sharing what their story was what mm-hmm. was the steps or what was the the uh, you know Actions that led them to, yeah, yeah, to achieve and succeed, mm-hmm. and they they are really happy to share those with others as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And
1: all all one needs is to reach out and mm-hmm. seek those tips and tricks.
0: As a when you began as an introvert, you were an introvert. You mentioned that yeah. uh, informational interview for introverts. Reaching out is a very big challenge for introverts, right? What would you recommend for introverts to reach out to random strangers and connect with them and ask questions? What would you recommend for them?
1: Mm. You know, there's there are a couple of things that comes to my mind. First of all, when we sit on the other side of the table, we start to realize how, basically, it would be or, or, or how it should be for the other side of the table food. And I will just elaborate on that. I had a friend that actually always really hates doing informational interviews for Mm -hmm. whatever reason, Mm -hmm. and she always says, I apply for a job, I I have my resume, it's Mm self-explanatory, why should I have, I mean, why do I need to reach out, and and why should I have to do this at all? Mm -hmm. So the other side of the table, Mm -hmm. for example, is a hiring manager, and there are 10 resumes in front of her mm-hmm. or him,
2: mm-hmm.
1: all very shiny, all very well written, mm-hmm. very well polished. Mm-hmm. What are the means to really be able to discern between these unless there's like a, f- a human side to, to those resumes? So mm-hmm. they really need another means on top of the, a good resume to just really get to know about, okay, who's this person? Are mm-hmm. they able to get along with me and my team? And mm-hmm. basically, are they a good fit for the team? So showing the face and, the, and showing who actually you are uniquely mm-hmm. as compared to anyone else, Mm -hmm. Uh, is only possible by making an interaction and and by reaching out and and, and starting a conversation with that person so informational interview is not any different you start uh, a conversation as a human being to another human being
0: okay so you mentioned two sides of the table right a person who is conducting an interview person who is sharing their story and a person who is learning from their story have you ever been a hiring manager yourselves if you were, what qualities do you look for in a person when you're making that all-important hiring decision?
1: Yes, absolutely. And for sure, it has been very much helpful and it opened my eyes Mm -hmm. uh, when I started to hire people myself. Okay. Sometimes I, I really recommend people to sit on interviews as mm-hmm. an interviewer mm-hmm. rather than interviewee. For, mm-hmm. for sure, we all are interviewees at some point in our lives. Mm-hmm. The amount of insight we can gain when we become interviewer mm-hmm. is stunning. You know, mm-hmm. When you see a person on the other side of the table being mm-hmm. interviewed, mm-hmm. You realize the things that you should avoid and minimize. Mm-hmm how to appear best in your next interview as an interviewee. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so speaking to what really I would look for in a prospective mm-hmm. employee or in a candidate that we interview,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I would say really confidence, self-confidence is so important, mm-hmm. like believing in themselves because mm-hmm. I strongly believe that when a person uh, is chosen for interview, it really as in, is an indication of the fact that their resume and their qualifications is sufficient and, and even exceeding uh, to the point that we are happy mm-hmm. to invite them to an interview. Mm-hmm. So when they come to the interview it all comes uh, and it comes down to how well they can communicate their skills, how well they can communicate, how mm-hmm. uh, sharp they are with basically listening to what they are being asked. Sometimes I, I see some uh, candidates forgetting to answer a part of the question or going mm-hmm. into too much details or mm-hmm. too little amount of details to address that question. So, And I know it's a, it's partly because of stress or, st- or things like that but practice makes it better.
0: Uh, I have a different point of view as well. Mm-hmm. In India when two people are talking, person A and person B, mm-hmm. uh, and person A is saying some things about whatever life they are going through and person B is the listener. And if person B is the listener, person A would expect them to say, uh-huh, okay, uh-huh, what happened? I understand. All of these as statements. And the person A, if they, the person B is not said these words, the person A would point out and say, are you even listening? You're not saying anything. But here in Canada, I realized, if you say, okay, I understand, uh-huh, you're actually interrupting the other person. <laughs> I realized when, when people speak here and you're actually a listener, you are actually a listener. You just shut down, keep yourself calm, listen to the whole thing, look into their eyes, have a deep conversation, maybe take notes if required, and then you answer when the chance comes to you. Yeah. And I understand how culturally different they are. And I'm sure different countries have different cultures and different people have different definition of listening skills and different definition of, you know, confidence and communication. Mm -hmm. And so many people come here with second language as English. Countries like Nigeria and countries like uh, United States the UK, Mm -hmm. they all have English as their uh, national language. And countries like India does not have a national language. There are too many regional languages, there is not a national language. Or so does Congo and other countries. Or any any Asian country for that matter does not have a English as their national language. So cases like that, especially when you have so much cultural difference, how do you identify that cultural difference and how do you comfort your interviewee during those sessions?
1: Mm-hmm. It's a very good point and maybe now even what I'm hearing from you makes me more cognizant and more aware of potentially there would be things that I should be mindful of and and, uh, basically affiliate to the diversity that you know would exist uh, without us knowing Um, trying to remember examples not so much in an interview but I know I have a very diverse team from like you know I'm a racial from gender perspective so I'm very glad and proud of that so in our team we have people from different countries, different ethnicities and then different backgrounds of course. I have seen sometimes you know the way the same statement would be treated or the way sometimes as as simple as if I propose to do some work would I be stepping on your toes or Mm -hmm. would I be actually trying to help you? Yeah. Sometimes things are translated very differently by different people and again just observing those like over time exposure to those different observations has helped broadening you know the the perspective on different people can be very different and it's uh, like as a manager I should be uh, basically more and more aware of how these differences could be basically related to the backgrounds that people bring before or from. Uh, their home countries for example or mm-hmm. from the cultures I also come from a cultural perspective where there are so many things very differently translated mm-hmm. as compared to how things are being treated in Canada mm-hmm. so for me also has been a means of observation from the other side I have been trying to observe and, and try to find out okay things here doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean as what they maintain my home country mm-hmm. and when I come to the other side of the table is like being more inclusive and being more mm-hmm. patient and not uh, Basically, translating things as personal when I see different reactions from people.
0: Okay, okay. Yeah.
1: But in the interview, I will really be more mindful of that. I
0: don't know. I'm glad I could elite you.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Always <laughs> sitting in, a, in any conversation can take, have like, you know, at a minimum one and always way more than one takeaways for me, which is something I really appreciate.
0: <laughs> well, I'm glad I could give you a takeaway. I'm sure our listeners are having a lot of takeaways from this <laughs> conversation that we are having. Oh,
1: thank you, I hope so.
0: <laughs> so, you're a rock star when it comes to volunteering. How do you do all these contributions? How do you truly quantify in real world? Give us some inside scope on your volunteer work and how it makes a tangible difference. You are uh, on the board of multiple um, nonprofit organizations, and mm-hmm. when you are on the board, what does your role look like? How does it quantify into impact?
1: Okay. So, sure. So I'll go back because currently I'm no longer like on the board with Swiss. Mm -hmm. Uh, But back then, so I was on the board I think for four years from 2016 all the way to 20 or something like that. So Mm -hmm. in those years I was sitting on different committees such as the Immigrating Women in Science, Communications Mm -hmm. Committee, and the strategic development or strategic planning, if I recall properly. Mm-hmm. So the typically what we would do there, first mm-hmm. of all, there were monthly meetings where actually every committee would report on their progress and mm-hmm. progress on mm-hmm. what we were meant to do to deliver throughout the course of the year. Mm-hmm. And of course, at the beginning of every year, we would sit down. We would have some strategic planning and goal setting for the year, mm-hmm. which is very similar to what every corporation does, whether mm-hmm. it's a public sector or is a pro- private like. A prop for profit sector they have to specify what you know ambitions we have for the next year or for the next few years
2: Mm -hmm.
1: how we are going to achieve that so what it means actually translating the goals into Mm -hmm. strategies into action plans and and translating that into all the way into the operational level Mm -hmm. uh, what has to be done so and then planning for and basically scheduling for those activities and then uh, Trying to stay on track with uh, delivering and, and achieving milestones. So, typically, that's uh, how my role was as a committee chair in that coming in that voluntary capacity, and then directing and also providing opportunities for professional development of others in the team. So let's say. There were some people that would bring great ideas to the team Mm -hmm. so it's something that we haven't done before but now makes sense why not let's just you know and someone is bringing the expertise and they are willing to try it Mm -hmm. so why not to give them the opportunity to actually i don't know take a new initiative within the organization Mm -hmm. and if our budget allows for or if it's something that is that doesn't even require budget why Mm -hmm. not to let that person examine and explore Mm -hmm. the opportunities so that they can build new skills they can i don't know add some lines to their resume Mm -hmm. and they can also build new connections demonstrate uh you know know, new or or demonstrate accomplishments and then build on top of that to just get to new places
0: okay so out of curiosity uh, the commitment of of any members or committees of a non-profit must be really high to pull through this, right? Because most of work is done through volunteering. Most of your nonprofit uh, events and most of uh, your non-profit members are volunteers. When you have so many volunteers, how do you make sure they are committed to the cause? because cause? I'm sure all of them, or at least most of them, they have their own full-time job yeah. or a family to take care of. Like you said, your female colleague who had three kids, I really wonder how she did it. Okay. And so many other uh, commitments that they already have. How do you make sure your uh, volunteers in your nonprofit organizations are committed to the cost that you are acting towards?
1: Mm-hmm. And that's. I think that's a very good question because yes, there are lots of challenges, so it looks like you have already experienced a lot of (laughs) that. Well, I mean, with even retaining volunteers, I don't know, I I know you are in different capacities, you know, having uh, voluntary roles as well, Mm -hmm. or voluntary in some capacity is not very much different from a startup, Mm -hmm. where you actually have to put a lot of your time in and there's not so much necessarily... uh, Financial gain out of that, Mm -hmm. which means like you're purely spending time and investing your time. Mm -hmm. Uh, to unknown mo- moments or, or for an unknown period of time so mm-hmm. there are two parts to that one part is within our control for example as a committee chair or so first of all to always looking to retain and, and hire great volunteers mm-hmm. so it's not like to say okay we are happy with the two people we have and they are doing a great job because there's a chance and what happened uh, back then for me that led, led me to step up into a committee chair role was mm-hmm. the committee chair back then got a job promoted into a, like a higher responsive and mm-hmm. had to step down because mm-hmm. she became extremely busy and mm-hmm. she needed to settle into the you know the new role mm-hmm. at least for a while. Mm-hmm. So you could always lose the great volunteers mm-hmm. for good reasons. Mm-hmm. First of all, retaining mm-hmm. and retention is so important, or basically recruiting. Recruiting mm-hmm. is so important. And then the other part that is in control is how to keep them motivated. Mm-hmm. Like there would be lots of initiatives. I think we were doing mm-hmm volunteer appreciation sessions and other things like, you know, value to the members or for value for the volunteers, the mm-hmm. people who basically give their time, there should be some...
0: Something in return, reason. return on investment, exactly. okay.
1: Either not to pay for membership fees or, mm-hmm. I don't know, not to pay for that event that they are hosting already, for example. Mm-hmm. Things like that, plus other things like at the end of the year, an appreciation letter or mm-hmm. something, you know, and, and a retreat Mm-hmm. Annual on mm-hmm. an annual basis for those and any former volunteers that have been with us for a while and now are no longer with us. Mm-hmm. So, there were a lot of great things that SQUIST was doing, and other organizations that I'm a part of, like American Society for Quality. Mm-hmm. For example, I think they send some of their volunteers on a like a you know, just a, a limited, a few limited ones every year to. Uh, Conference across North America. Mm -hmm. So the volunteers wouldn't have to pay for the conference fees Mm -hmm. And the travel fees or so so that's a very nice perk to Mm -hmm. be given as a volunteer Mm -hmm. But I know there are parts of that 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 is out of our control again uh, Basically, sometimes the pace of the work has to slow down just because like Mm -hmm. you said we have a life there are competing priorities So that's about the voluntary roles. You cannot guarantee because it's not like a full-time job of people Anyway,
0: okay. there's a trade-off between those two. Okay, I know for a fact that you have been a teacher all your life, you have been mentoring so many people and even in academic institutions you have uh, spent time, you have been teaching and teaching international students sounds like a very fulfilling career. After all these years, what is that you absolutely love about teaching them?
1: Yes, I should say even though I keep my teaching role at a minimal you know, workload mm-hmm. during mm-hmm. my week, mm-hmm. I teach one course every quarter, which is taking only a couple of hours or, or so mm-hmm. every week,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, but I still can't let go of it because basically <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it's so rewarding. And I would say the biggest rewarding part is, for example, when I receive a comment from a student saying that This course or the things that they learn is really applicable to their real life or in their work workplace They are able to uh, apply some of those skills Mm -hmm. So that's really like a very very rewarding point even Mm -hmm. though I don't expect my students to come and tell me Mm -hmm. about that Mm -hmm. Uh, But I really get excited when I hear those comments. There are other ways that I have also felt very accomplished for example referring a student of mine to a job Mm -hmm. or writing a reference letter or, or basically Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, making a connection for one student, a former student, and uh, an existing connection elsewhere where there's an opportunity to you know, connect that, that person to a potential job posting. Um, and uh, also the fact that these people, most of my students, are very much like myself. They are international students they have their own struggles with, you know, having a, a temporary status in Canada for a while as mm-hmm. a student mm-hmm. and they have to just, you know, work as well part-time to just cover for the, the cost of living. Mm-hmm. So not only they have to study, but also they have to work, which is not something I ha- ever needed to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I really appreciate the fact that they are, you know, dedicated to go through school while they have to work as well. And many of them have families, they have kids. So at the same time, they struggle with, you know, sometimes they get their kid gets sick, or mm-hmm. basically there are other struggles they go through. So I try to be mindful of the fact that they are going through, you know, some hurdles anyway. Mm-hmm. So I shouldn't be narrow sighted or expect them too much sometimes. And I should be having some flexibility when it comes to and when it's needed on a case by case basis.
0: Sounds really exhausting, <laughs> but also rewarding.
1: <laughs> well then. You know the very first time i started to t- teach as a lecturer or like a like by myself uh, in, the, in the class it was a four and a half hour mm-hmm. and i didn't give them even one minute break oh so, sh- <laughs> it was out of being so inexperienced and, and expecting like i should deliver these people expect me and mm-hmm. i should just give them the most the biggest value for the, their time but mm-hmm. i was killing them and killing myself <laughs> and at the end i was just feeling like i've been working in a warehouse just like sweating feeling so tired physically and then the voice gone. So it was like, it doesn't look like I've been teaching. It looks like I've been carrying stuff in <laughs> of the ammo warehouse for four hours. But that comes with time. Now I feel confident and I wasn't feeling confident that at that time. Mm-hmm. Now when I go into my classes, I'm way more comfortable. Mm-hmm. It all comes back. But my students are really, like the size of my classes are 36 mm-hmm. at max. I honestly if I if you would put me in front of 120 people I think I still would be stressed
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay so now that you have been talking about realism and how uh, realistic you are in front of your students let's talk about what is the difference between ambition and realism which camp do you belong to and we are dying to know if you're a dreamer or a realist mm,
1: very good question to be honest I don't know if the audience that would be hearing our podcast are very young into their very early stages of career or their experience i have moved from one to the other so mm-hmm. i've always been trying to boil the ocean
2: mm-hmm.
1: very much on the ambition side mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons sometimes trying to uh basically basic doing too much as as much as i can mm-hmm. throughout the course of the life but uh-huh. then over time and, and now that. My age is, you know, mm-hmm. basically getting into the next stages, next <laughs> decades. <laughs> I realize actually there should be a trade off, and there are other in- things that are important in life. It's not all about accomplishments and achievements. Mm-hmm. That's why I said I have that resolution of, you know, mm-hmm. making wellness a bit more prioritized in my mm-hmm. um, lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And now I'm t- in toward the realistic part. More and more, more and more, I'm becoming realistic and not feeling loss for not being into all kind of leaks and boiling the ocean anymore.
0: Do you think most uh, people go through this, especially, I would like to call it midlife crisis?
1: Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I call it the same for
0: sure. Uh, So do you you believe uh, many people go through midlife crisis and there comes a point where you are confused between Ambition and personal life like dreaming and realism and I think I am slowly moving towards it I'm not there yet, but I'm sure down the line in three four years. I'm gonna ask myself that question Uh, What what advice would you give them?
1: Yeah, well, I I, I'm sure you're way younger than me. (laughs) So this year I turned 40 and that's where I actually had that midlife crisis for sure so Mm -hmm. really without knowing and without wanting Mm -hmm. my mind was really occupied closer to my birthday Mm -hmm. on where am I what am I doing what should I be doing Mm -hmm. and uh, isn't it too late to I don't know make the right changes that I need to make Mm -hmm. Uh, should I pause should I jump should I what should I do so I was really struggling with some of those questions around everything Mm -hmm. the place i live the job i do the skills i have even sometimes a relation i have so existential crisis
2: yeah
1: Yeah. but i'm glad that actually i moved on and everything now is in, in peace Mm -hmm. which is what made me think of okay yeah just slow down it doesn't have to be another jump or or you don't need to keep jumping Mm -hmm. because there are so many other things that are important in life and you can enjoy life in way many different ways than uh, I don't know check marking all the milestones (laughs) one after the other so I don't know whether it comes or happens for everyone. Basically, mm-hmm. I just hit one once very recently myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the, the advice, like you said, I really hope the the people who are way younger
2: mm-hmm.
1: actually come to that settlement and come to that peace with themselves way mm-hmm. sooner than turning into 40 and beyond. Mm-hmm. Because then there are more years that they can enjoy life in a, in a more peaceful pace, mm-hmm. to call it like
0: that yeah okay okay so long I have been bombarding you with questions so tell me do you have any questions for me
1: well I always am interested in how people chose this path what led you to become a podcast host Mm -hmm. is it podcast host yes it is that's a very interesting job and you hear lots of stories Mm-hmm. and you engage in lots of conversations with
0: people. Yeah, it is my version of informational interviews. <laughs> but yeah, the reason why I uh, started the podcast was, when I moved to Canada, I was looking for a platform where I can identify and learn from other people's experiences. Of course, when I, I'm not an Instagram follower, so naturally I lost a lot of content there. But however, when I started checking on LinkedIn and YouTube, the content that I needed was not available and then I started having conversations with a lot of people and realized so many people think that the, the things that they want to learn, especially about immigrant experience, people were not able to, you know, relate to that experience, they were not able to find relevant content. And how to learn from others' experiences, uh, and networking is very different in Canada. And networking, where I come from, networking is mostly personal networking. You just call up and say, "Hey, you know what? My brother wants this. Could you please help me?" And then, and people will be like, "Yeah, yeah, of course, definitely." And that's it. That was networking. And in Canada, networking is not like that. I remember to have this conversation to set up this podcast meeting. We have been discussing for, for what three months, four months.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's networking, right? It is so different. And the difference has to be acknowledged. And where do I go to acknowledge that? So I wanted to create a platform to acknowledge those differences, cultural differences, opinions, and values that people bring in. So that is why we are here. Yeah,
1: that's very insightful, Manisha. You know, we, when we met a couple months ago or three months ago, like you said, all I knew about you and all the chance we had to talk was mm-hmm. just, I don't know, a few minutes. Mm-hmm. And you were mindful of the fact that you wanted to leave the time for others as well in that session.
2: Mm-hmm. But I
1: remember at that point, I recall that you were interested, extremely interested in change management and mm-hmm. you asked them about some change management organizations or trainers or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, That was my extent of knowledge for you, or basically the way I was mapping or or profiling you in my mind. Mm -hmm. Now, throughout these exposures, throughout months of conversation when you reached out for talking about the podcast and I learned about oh okay so it's not just you're a staffing or organization doing change management or hoping to do change management you are hosting a podcast okay interesting now what's that Mm -hmm. and now throughout the sessions and now talking to each other I learned a lot more about you so I have a very stronger profile of you in my mind Mm -hmm. so when it comes to for example connecting you to another connection of mine so I know who's Monisha now Uh I feel comfortable and I know you're Personable, you're mm-hmm. nice, and basically, it's very different from uh, the, the three minutes of exposure and encounter we had at that event.
0: Thank I you think you're awesome. the first person to call me nice. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there is a you're very humble, <laughs> humble is not my nature, trust me. <laughs> Thank you, thank you so much, Jira. Thank you for being a guest on our podcast show, Newcomers to Trailblazers. Your trailblazing spirit is truly inspiring and we are thrilled to have you here. We had an incredible time with you as you shared your journey and valuable tips. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in. I know it was long, but trust me, it was worthy. If you haven't subscribed yet, we encourage you to do so. We release episodes bi-weekly and can be found on Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, and Spotify. Do not forget to follow us on Insta, LinkedIn, and TikTok for more exciting updates. Take care and ciao. Bye, Jila. Thank
1: you, Manisha. Great to talk to you. You Thank too. You. Bye. Bye.